I don't know about you, when, when I was in high school, I really, really hated it when you arrived at class and suddenly the teacher has a pop quiz. Did you guys ever have pop quizzes? I hated that because it tested you on something you didn't know you were going to be tested on yet. Jesus had a lot of pop quizzes for his disciples. We're going to read about one here this morning. But I hated one thing more than that in high school, and it was being called on in front of the entire class. Anybody else hate that? Okay, I won't call on you. There's something that Jesus did with his disciples that we're going to read about here. And he asked them a question. He kind of gave them a pop quiz. He starts asking them about who other people say that he is. And they talked about some prophets and they talked about some other different Bible characters in the, in the past of Israel's uh, experience and history. But it comes down to this really profound question that Jesus asks his disciples. It's, it's probably one of the most profound questions in all of the scriptures. It's Matthew 16, verse 16. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. Now, Peter was a little bit of a teacher's pet. Like, he was always trying to get the right answer. He was always trying to, like, be the, the star, the star pupil, the guy. But in this case, he gets it right. And he says this thing, and I, I'm convinced that he didn't, I'm sure he didn't really know what he was saying fully. Right? A lot like us. He's like, he had the Sunday school answer, but the reality was still ahead for him. The reality was going to hit him in the next few months as everything played out with Jesus. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter on, on this rock. Everybody say rock. The rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. It's a powerful scripture that we're going to wrestle with a little bit today. I want you to imagine that Jesus is asking you that question. Who do you say that I am? Do you say, oh, you're, you're a good teacher? Do you say, you're my get-out-of-hell-free card? <laughs> do you say, you're the one I go to when I get in a jam? Do you say, you're the one I visit on Sundays? Do you say, I'm not sure? What would you say if Jesus asked you this question today? What would your answer be? Could you, like Peter, maybe give the right answer, but maybe inside know that you might not be living up to the answer you just gave? You are the Messiah. You are the King and Lord of all creation. The Apostle Paul says Jesus is the one who holds the universe together. 
He's the one, the source of all life. He is the anointed and holy one who came to give life by giving his life. And he is the one enthroned in heaven above all. This is the the revelation. The revelation of that truth and reality about Jesus is what the church is actually built on. A revelation of Jesus. And it has to be a revelation. You can hear me say it, but it doesn't really take root until it comes alive in you. It's revealed to you in a way that changes the way you live. You see, this question has the power to determine so much about your life. What you'll do with your life. What you believe about your life. Whether you believe you have a purpose or not. Whether you believe that other people need to hear it. This answer, the answer that you give to this question will determine the rest of your life in a way that's so significant. And I want you to wrestle with that today. Today is Vision Sunday. And I'm gonna share with you some vision, but my hope is you're not just listening to me, but you're actually having a moment where you're realizing who Jesus is to you and what you must do in response what you must do in response to his question that he's asking every single one of us. Here's the the powerful thing. If we all answer this question well, if we answer this question together well, it determines what kind of church we are. If we answer it poorly, it determines what kind of church we are. Are we the kind of church that can overcome anything and everything? Are we the kind of church that no matter what comes against us, we have a confidence, an assurance, a conviction, a strength, a a, a reliance on Jesus and his spirit that no matter what tries to overcome us, we can walk through it and we can proclaim who Jesus is to the world around us? Are we that church? Yes. You might not realize it yet, but you are that church. (laughs) You and I are the church that God has called us to be together, an overcoming and powerful church, rescuing people from darkness. And Peter gives this incredible answer, and it starts to shape him, shapes him the rest of his life. You know, some of you know my story. I came from a church, I was in Colorado for 19 years at a church that ended up about 16 years in going through a a terrible scandal with the senior pastor who was caught in sexual sin. It was national news because he was a national figure. It was a mess. It was very painful for the body of believers there. It was so heartbreaking. It was sadness for weeks. We just felt like every service is a funeral, you know, because you lost something. And, and, and when you lose integrity, it, you really feel it. And, and people just struggled to get through that. I struggled. I, I, I was named the interim senior pastor during that time. And um, if you ever get a chance to be an interim senior pastor, I just, um, I don't recommend it. It's not, <laughs> it's not great. But what I found is that the grace of God came on me in a way that I'd never experienced before to help me be the leader I needed to be during that time that I didn't think I could be. 
It was an incredible experience. Sadly, 13 months past the scandal, we had a shooter arrive on our campus and come into our building, a young man who was mad at the world and had a thousand rounds of ammunition strapped to his chest and he came in and started shooting people. And two young girls lost their lives that day. Several people were hurt and wounded and injured. And I remember after that, you know, we had counselors on standby and all, for several weeks, every Sunday and during the weeks and trying to help our church get through the grief of what had just happened. What we realized, we were, we were already suffering the loss of our leader, but we, then we felt like we were just walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's like, what is happening to our church? God, where are you? It was a very, very hard time. And, 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 you know, after all that, then there was this process of selecting a new pastor, and it was, I mean, I, there was so much between, between all that, 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 probably two years that just happened that revealed the, the yuckiness of church, you know, the, the humanity of church. Sadly, it's the only option God has as humans in his church. <laughs> Everybody's, you know, it's just all a bunch of humans coming together and we're unflawed and we're messed up and we're, there's a bunch of hypocrites. That's what kills me when people say, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. I'm like, and? <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, it's a bunch of people in need of Jesus, right? They're working it out. They're working out their salvation with fear and trembling, you hope, right? But, but it's so sad when a leader falls and then it's so agonizing when something happens that seems just out of the blue, and God, are you even here? And you would think that I would have reacted to all that I saw, and I saw a lot. I was in, I was in every meeting during two years of all kinds of messed up stuff. I saw people really act out. I saw people super angry. I saw them respond poorly to a man who failed. I saw them angry. I saw the church kind of fall apart. I saw a bunch of people kind of losing their faith. And you would think that after that, I would be cynical. Like I would just, I would lose it. I would just like be skeptical and cynical of the church. Like, like it's just a mess and is it really worth it? And do, <laughs> should, I, should I give my energy and life to the church because I've seen the worst of it. Maybe you could relate to that because church hurt is some of the worst hurt. But what I ended up doing was planting another church. (laughs) What What is that? What led to me deciding that I not only was not gonna be skeptical and cynical but that I believed there was a Leather life-giving church that God wanted to start as a result of what I'd been through. Called One Chapel. It was you. Listen. Listen. Here's why that happened. Because even though I saw the brokenness of humanity during those two years, I also saw the supernatural 
energy of God's spirit at work in people who were hurting. I also saw an incredible coming together of people who loved one another and a remnant who showed up together even though it felt like we were never gonna get through this. I saw people holding on and walking through the grief in an incredible way. I saw it and I saw God's grace on it all, including me. Here's what this passage that we just read says. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, no human brokenness, no wicked schemes, nothing on the planet can get in the way of Jesus building his church. I believe it. I believe it. Now, I will be honest, during the last two and a half years, I've been like, "Mm, maybe, I don't know. No, Jesus said, I will build my church. You can have confidence in your church today. Not because of me, not because of our team, as awesome as they are. (laughs) Not even because of the people around you, necessarily, but because Jesus is doing something. And whatever Jesus does, that lasts. Right? So, So he said, I will build my church. No guarantee for Ross's church. But if you're gonna build, if you're gonna, if you're gonna work with Jesus and He's gonna build His church and you're gonna cooperate and collaborate with Him, then you can be assured something good is ahead for us, right? And on this Vision Sunday, I want you to believe that there is something God is calling us to, that is so good, that is so powerful, that is so real, that is that is a response to where we are in our culture. And what we see all around us and what the world needs, we have to ask ourselves, what do we believe about Jesus? Who do we say he really is? And can we make sure that our message is clear? Because even though Jesus says, I will build my church, it's interesting to note, he told you and me to do something different. We like to build the church. Like I've planted, I planted one chapel with about 50 people who came and helped us and joined us and we planned this little thing. It was super fun. We were meeting in all kinds of weird spots and we were like super like renegade and it was so fun, very scrappy church. We met in youth rooms over gymnasiums and movie theaters and schools and we're just like, yeah, church planning. It's fun to build the church, but actually, you gotta be careful because that's Jesus' job. And if you start trying to build the church, you'll make it in your own image. Jesus wants it to be in his own image. Jesus said, I'll build the church, but he told you and me to do something different. You know what he told us? He said, you go make disciples. Today, I wanna challenge you on Vision Sunday that Jesus is calling us to re-up for his original commission. He's challenging one child, he's challenging me, he's asking me to sign up for being involved in the messiness of humanity by making disciples, by following him closely, by following Jesus closely, and then holding somebody else's hand and saying, come on, let's follow Jesus together. That's what you're called to. 
That's not the pastor's job. Jesus said, you go make disciples. Here it is, Matthew 28, 18 says, then Jesus came to them all and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Oh, everything's good until you get to that spot. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Oh, but then Jesus promises something. Look what Jesus promises. And surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, if you look at this passage, what you see is Jesus stacks the deck for the disciples. You remember, they're kind of uh, knuckleheads, right? They, 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 they're fishermen and tax collectors and people, zealots who think that, you know, they can, they can change everything by political power. Those people are actually part of the disciples group. So you can, some of you can feel, you know, really connected to that group. The problem was Jesus kept saying political power doesn't work. It's not, that's not the kingdom work. And, he, and so he's, he gives them his authority. He says, you don't have to do it in your own authority. You don't, it's, it's not about who you are anyway. It's about who is in you. And he said, he said, you have authority that you've never seen before, and I'll be with you no matter what happens. It's a promise. It's a wonderful thing. Author Mike Breen says it well in his book, Building a Discipling Culture. He says, if we make disciples, we always get the church. But if we build the church, we rarely get disciples. You guys, I, I, I want to confess that it's easy to build the church, but that God has always called one chapel to make disciples. And I'm taking a look around at our culture, I'm taking a look around at, at who we are as a church after these last couple of years, and I'm, I'm, I'm realizing we, we too easily lean towards empire building, building what is what we like, being driven by our own desires and wants rather than looking at what Jesus told us to do because the emphasis in this verse is not actually on go, it's on disciple. This verse, everybody emphasizes the go. Actually, it's, it's a, it, the emphasis is on disciple. He, Jesus assumes you're gonna go. You got stuff to do. You got things you're gonna accomplish. You, your life is gonna happen. You're gonna go to work. You're gonna go to school. You're gonna go do this and you're gonna go do that. He says, wherever you find yourself on your way, you need to pull somebody in with you and help them see who Jesus really is. That's what he says. No matter where, everywhere you go, everyone who knows Jesus, everyone who follows Jesus is responsible to do this. That's the thing. So that's when I just lost half the crowd. Everyone, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I, here's what I believe. Jesus expects us to make disciples as a natural byproduct of following him. When we follow him, the natural byproduct is supposed to be we help other people follow him. But we live in such an individualistic, isolated American Christianity that we don't live for others. Sometimes, especially when it comes to church. We have to correct that. Now notice that Making disciples is teaching people how to obey. 
not just what to obey. I think it's, the church is so good. I'm so good as your pastor of telling you what to do. <laughs> like that's what we all want to do, right? We just want to tell them, tell people what to obey. Right? Oh, you should obey this. Oh, you should do that. Oh, don't do that. That's bad news. Oh, don't do that. Do this. Okay. No, Jesus is saying you have to teach them how to obey. It's like, you're, it's like teaching your kids to brush their teeth. I got five kids. I spent many, many years, many years trying to get my kids to brush their teeth. You say it at the end of the night. Hey, did you brush your teeth? Yeah. Let me see, let me see. And they come and they, you open their, open their mouth and you smell the bad breath and you're like, you did not brush those teeth. All right, come in here, let me show you how to do it, all right? Here's it, show me, show me your brush your teeth. And they're like, eh, no, 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 you gotta get back in there. And I grab the brush and I start to, okay, it's like, dad, 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 it really hurts. <laughs> you know, you gotta get all the way back in the back. And listen, that was a nightly ritual for years. Like at first I thought something was wrong with my kids. <laughs> no, they're just learning how to grow up. By the way, that's you and me with Jesus. We gotta learn how to grow up. But with <laughs> my kids, I would threaten them <laughs> with giant needles that a dentist would skewer into their gums. I would inspire them with tales of white, pearly white teeth. Nothing. It took showing them over and over and over to get it to work. And my kids all have great teeth now. Hey! Here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Bunch of you think that what I'm talking about is discipleship. Ooh, isn't discipleship like that thing for like super deep people? Like isn't discipleship for like the experts? Like the really expert Christians? See, the problem is most of you see discipleship and you put it on one of two poles. Put it up there, Alejandro. You got expert level and then you got novice level. These are the two groups of people that need discipleship, right? Like they, one needs it, one wants it. Like, I just love the deep things. I like to study. I like to blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but Jesus was incredibly driven by stories that allowed the kingdom of God to reveal itself. And he asked a lot of questions. Very few answers if you do the research. Lots of questions. He allowed the process to go on within his disciples, and when they asked him a question, then he started to go. There's something about those questions, there's something about that give and take, that conversation that we've lost inside of our American churches. And we think it's just, you know, it's the new Christians, the newbies, like they're no, they, don't, they don't know anything about Jesus, they need to be discipled. Yes, they do, but disciple that's who you are. And, and the process of becoming a disciple, I hate to burst your bubble, but it happens to the end of your life. Like I'm an old enough man now to like realize, I thought I'd be better than this at this age. <laughs> right? Do you, can, do you feel me? I like, 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 you're like, ah, I feel like I should be better. 
Let me say this. Jesus gets to the end of his life, and he's sinless. He's sinless. He gets to the end of his life, and where do we find him? We find him in a garden draped over a rock, begging God to give him another option than the one he's called to. That's where we find him. And, and Jesus says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And I think he was genuinely asking, Father, is there a different way? Because I don't want to do this. But he said this phrase that all of us need to get used to, saying throughout our lives. Because if Jesus had to say it at the end of his life, you can be sure you're going to too. No matter how long you live. And the phrase is, but not my will. Your will be done. Yeah, that's a good clap. Thank you. All right, I'm, I'm getting behind. Disciple means an apprentice of Jesus and his way of life. That's what we're all called to. Everybody, no matter where you are in your journey. And we must realize that a disciple is by definition a disciple maker. We've kind of left that out in the American church mostly. Uh, Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, he said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There's four generations of people hearing the message. This is what we're called to. Four generations of discipleship. And we're, we, listen, we've been experimenting as one chapel since we started with what discipleship looks like. I mean, I've done message series and message series don't make disciples. I wish they did. I'd be brilliant at it. <laughs> we've instituted programs. We've had small groups. Uh, we, we've had teams. None of it guarantees discipleship. Right? And um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen around here. It does. But my guess is it's about 10% of the people, maybe less, that are involved in life-to-life connections, talking about Jesus weekly, consistently enough to see movement and growth in their spiritual lives. You ever heard the 80-20 principle? You know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Okay, that's not what Jesus called us to do as a church. That's a typical church. One chapel has had seasons where we broke the mold on that. And lots of people were in groups or lots of people were on a team. We broke the mold over our, over our history, but it always falls back because there's a problem. Our decision to become a multi-location church was built on the idea that people have to be near one another to actually walk together with Jesus. They have to see each other at the gym and the grocery store and they have, to, they have to connect easily at their house with people around them who they're gonna walk with and have meaningful conversations. If, they, if, they're, if, they're, if they're living out their faith in front of other people, they have to have casual conversations that lead to meaningful conversations that lead to spiritual conversations. That has to happen within the context of kind of where your sphere of influence is. So, that was the driving force behind becoming a multi-locational church. But here's what I realized. I, I skipped a step. I didn't realize I was skipping a step, but I see it now. I went to church planting, campus um, launching, 
instead of making sure that we had a airtight strategy for disciple making. Here's what it looks like on a, on a little graph. If you think about it as a, as a church, you got Sunday services, you got groups, here's teams, you got OC Connect, that's awesome. Everybody should go to OC Connect. You got Catalyst. Hey, Catalyst was an experiment. We, it was the best thing we'd done. But what I found is, at the end of three semesters, people had this giant notebook that they couldn't reproduce in anybody else. Here, make a table. It was too information-based. And the experts taught it. Had a lot of people encountered Jesus personally, but at the end of the three semesters, guess what most of them said? Whew, that was tough. Wow, that was a lot of work. I, I gotta take a break. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, don't you realize this is, what, this is what we're doing? Like, what I realized, it was too facility-based, it was too programmed, it was too information-based. It wasn't a model that Jesus used. I know, I'm sorry that I have to admit that to you. Pastors are people too. Because what, I have to, what you have to have, if you have all this stuff, it's awesome, but what you have to have is a disciple-making engine that's making everything else happen. If you rely on all that stuff, it's like, kinda like if you see that as a ship on the water and the middle line is the water, right? You see, see those, so, so the water's there and on the top, you see the ship above the water, it's like, oh, this looks fun, man. It's like a cruise ship. We, let's go to the Lido deck and play shuffleboard. Like, this is awesome. Like, there's a group that plays shuffleboard and then they kinda pray for each other at the end. Which, by the way, I'm okay with. That's good to do. To use something that is interest-based to pull people into Jesus. What I found is there's just not enough Jesus. There's too much interest. There's too much topic, not enough Jesus. And, and hey, look at our culture. It's showing it. We're not, we're, we're, we're not influencers. <laughs> we're, we're the people... We're the people Others blame for a bunch of problems in America. That's what we're facing as a church. Just big C church, not one chapel, but but there's if you if if you make if you have a disciple making engine, everything else works. If you have nobody down under the water, in the belly of the ship, making it move, it goes incredibly slow. And that's what you see in the life of the church with America. The church is not moving quickly at all. We're slower than everybody else. We're just doing our best. It's because everybody's on the Lido deck playing shuffleboard and nobody's doing the hard work of the building blocks of the gospel, the good news, seeing it happen real time in another person's life, meeting weekly to experience the wonder of who Jesus really is to them. I have a Friday morning men's group called Brotherhood, and I love it, and it's, it's so amazing. I have really enjoyed it. Sp- Pastor, uh, I almost called you Pastor Spiro. It's, it's old, old habits die hard. Spiro, Stavros, and Jennifer, they came with us to start the church, and, and um, we're so grateful for them, but Spiro and I lead this men's group on a Friday morning, and it's so cool because 
We have people who are really mature in Jesus at that group and people who just are fighting their way through the first lessons about letting Jesus be Lord. And you know what happens? I learn stuff from those guys. They say things that I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. See, it's not the experts. You see, you see me as an expert. It's not, it's, you don't need to be expert level to help somebody else follow Jesus. You just have to be surrendered. You just have to be willing. You just, you just have to be willing to say, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down my life in a way that I haven't been. And so our values are still solid, you guys. Our values are still good. Presence, relationship, and mission. I believe in people having encounters with Jesus. I believe that relationships are the conduit of all this ministry that, that we're talking about. And I believe the mission is real. We're here to help Jesus be known and loved and embraced. But over the last couple of years especially, it's been like, wow. I wonder if we have to change our strategy and tactics. The vision's good, but the tactics have to change. Because culture is changing so fast. And we're like on a cruise ship going, <laughs> Our strategy and tactics must change with the culture we are now living in. I've said it over and over again. I saw it on display. We are, as Christians, we are more discipled by our politics and media than we are by Jesus. That hurts every time I say it. But I think it's been true. I think we've seen it on display. One of the greatest hindrances to our spiritual formation as a church and discipleship to Jesus is a faulty definition of success, both success of the church and success in our lives. We get a faulty de definition, and we start to embrace the false gods of our culture, which makes us just like the children of Israel <laughs> of the Old Testament, and we embrace the gods, the false gods of accumulation, of careerism, of comfort, of convenience, and we allow all those things to drive our lives, and we live by those faulty definitions. The definitions of our culture, we sabotage our spirituality and allow ourselves to be rooted in a counterfeit kingdom, right? Like, like a, a counter kingdom to the kingdom of God. A kingdom of our own making and a false definition of what a successful life looks like. And as a result, many of us, here's what happens. When you decide on that counterfeit kingdom, your life starts to exhibit the pain and the problems of anxiety, of feeling hurried, of being alone and powerless. Over this year, 2022, if you look back, you can see there's been a process. God's leading us. We started the year with unhurried. You remember that? Hey, people, slow down. Your life's too, it's too fast. You're not gonna be able to do what God's trying to ask you to do if you don't make some more room. We went through that for several weeks, and then we, then we said, we studied the Beatitudes of Jesus, which is all about like, oh, upside down kingdom. <laughs> the way the world works is not the way Jesus works. We gotta embrace that. And we got to see how it impacts our lives. And then we went to a series on the Holy Spirit called Numa. You remember this? And we said, we said, the role of the Holy Spirit is indispensable for every Christian because it's not about you doing it. It's about him working through you to, to, to be who God's called you to be. And I think it's the same thing for being a disciple. You don't be a disciple on your own 
merits or your own skills. You, you follow Jesus closely based on the mercy of God through Christ and you follow him by his spirit that lives in you. And then that's how you know you can make another disciple. Not because, not because you're so awesome, but because you house the one who is awesome. And he, and he gets involved in whatever conversations you start having about Jesus. This is what I tell my, my guys group every week. I say, when guys get together and talk about Jesus and pray for one another, God does stuff. He just does. And we're not all experts and we're not all novices. We're all across the spectrum. But here's what we've got to do as a church. We've got to decide that this is how we're going to act as a church. We've got to decide that this is what our culture is. And I want you to go with me on an adventure. I want you to go with me for the next several months. I'm going to preach a bunch of messages on this, but the messages won't really make the difference. Our responses together will make the difference. So I want to give you a new definition for disciple that is a, a technical definition. And we're going to talk about this for the next seven weeks. Actually, we're going to talk about what it looks like to change our, the culture of our church into a disciple-making culture for the next 16 weeks. And then we'll talk about it all next year and probably in 2024 too because that's how long it'll take to get rid of some of the bad habits we have. Because none of that happens quick. So there's no pressure. The last thing I want you to do is try to perform. That's actually the last thing God wants you to do too. <laughs> he doesn't want you to act out of guilt and he doesn't want you to perform, but he does want you to surrender to his calling. And for those of you who can hear it and will hear it, and awaken your heart to what he's saying. I think you'll understand this definition. A disciple is a lifelong learner. Why lifelong learner? Because you're never done. No experts. A lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus who helps others become a lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus. The more we understand and live out of the reality of a better definition of a disciple, the more we will experience kingdom success, which will give us such fulfillment and joy. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, he said, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. How often? <sighs> take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will save it. You've got to realize that the doorway of an amazing life that Jesus promises you and me is the doorway of self-denial and the cross. The cross. Jesus actually says, <laughs> he says, what you've got to do is you've got to pick up your instrument of death and then you're going to follow me every day. His disciples must have been like, Jesus, come on, man. You've got to get a better marketing strategy. Man, this is really hard. This is really tough. <laughs> it's the same as the diet industry. Have you ever noticed? Every diet industry is like, yeah, feel great. Be awesome. It all comes in this little box. No. Nothing that lasts comes in a little box. Right? The diet industry is based on you've got to 
Burn more calories than you take in. No matter where you go, no matter what diet thing you take in part of, that's the bottom line thing. The thing I think that the church is facing is we've emphasized, we've majored on some minors. We've majored on, hey, feel great, do this, you're awesome. (laughs) And we've lost the basic building blocks of the gospel and good news of Jesus, which which is lay your life down. Lay your life down, and God replaces it with a life that you could never imagine. I got a bunch of reports here that I don't have time to give you, but the the statistics are not good about the American church. The decline is real. It's happening everywhere. And so we've got to do something. So I'm going to give you three steps to end. Ben, if you guys come up. I'm gonna give you three steps. Number one, here's where I want you to start. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about this for a bunch, of, a bunch of months. I want us to begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. <gasps> Great news, 21 days of prayer is just around the corner. It's almost like we planned it. <laughs> the reason we said 6 a.m. prayer every day is because that's the time of day when 95% of you can make it if you really want to. I just did that. I just threw it down. I just threw it down right there. If you really want to, you can join us. There is something about praying together that really matters. I believe that. It's just three weeks. You don't have to come every day. But you got to do something. We cannot do the same thing we've been doing and expect to see different results. We have to do something different. Your life needs connection with Jesus in a greater measure than you've ever had. In order for us to take this journey as a church, I think we have to pray and we have to bow our knees. We have to get down on our knees in a position of surrender and ask God to do his work in our lives because we're not reproducing at a rate that is sustainable. That's, that's a true American church statistic. Big churches keep growing, small churches keep disappearing. It's a net loss. You can look up those statistics. I'll try to send them to you this week in, the, in an email to encourage you. <laughs> to mobilize you, to motivate you. Hey, let's not, let's not be on the the deck of the cruise ship enjoying ourselves when we're never going to make it to port. Jesus is calling us to something greater than ourselves and I want you to see that and I want you to pray about it because prayer is the thing, it's the precursor to every powerful revelation and transformation that a person has. All right? So 14th, we start on prayer Here's a friend of mine, Glenn Packiam, great pastor and and author. He says, I believe with all my heart renewal is coming to the church, but it won't be the revival of us taking back anything. It's going to be the revival of us laying down everything. It's the church returning to the way of the cross. That's what prayer is. Let's pray together. Check out all the resources online. 
find a way to get to a prayer meeting a few times a week. Do something extra to change your heart and mindset. Number two, commit to a small group discussing Sunday's message. This is where the meat and potatoes of everything we're gonna go through here in the next few months are. I want everybody in our church to go through discussing the topics we're gonna talk about on Sundays. And I want you to carve time out to be in a small group that's weekly. Most of you have been unable to do that. But the truth is, if we're not in a relationships where you're talking about what Jesus is doing, relationships that know you and you know them, if we're not in those kind of relationships on a weekly, consistent basis, it's really hard to follow Jesus. It doesn't really work. So I want to challenge you to whatever topic you liked in your group and you were planning on doing this weekend or this um, next semester, I would ask you respectfully, would you just please put that aside and let's move together as a church and learn some things together. And I, and I realize some, we'll still have some of you that'll do what you had planned and that's cool, it's not a big deal, but I want everybody who's willing to go with us together. And every week we start talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus closely and to help somebody else do it. That's where we're going. And, and I know it'll be hard for you, but really all I want out of this semester, if I'm gonna, give, if I'm gonna be honest, I already did the nine o'clock service, it's all out of me, we're here at the end, I'm gonna tell you the real deal. <laughs> if you can figure out how to carve a time during the week when you're gonna be with people and talk about Jesus, you can do the rest. But if you can't carve out the time, which most American Christians cannot, to be with other people consistently, it'll be really hard. So that's all I really want from you. Carve out the time. Talk about what Jesus is doing. I'll give you some questions. And you'll be amazed at the results. You will be, I promise. So pray about, I'm gonna give you the next five weeks or so to find a group because the current number of group leaders aren't big enough to uh, have all those, group, all those people join a group. And you know what I want? I want 100%. I'm aiming for 100%. Will I get it? No. But it's okay, but it's okay, but it's okay. Look, some of you are gonna lag behind. That's okay. It's okay. Every, you know, the, the family... The family of every family moves at the pace of the slowest family member. Did you know that? If you got little babies, you got to bring all that crap along with you everywhere you go. And it takes forever. And you move, a, you move at the pace of the slowest family member. If you, got, if you got grandma with you and she's got a cane and she can't quite make it, she, you move at the, no offense. You move at the pace of the slowest family member. I'm committed to that. But what my role is as leader and shepherd is to say, come on, yeah. let's go, let's go. Let's, let's give up where we've been because it's not that great anyway. And let's go to where Jesus is calling us to go. And number three, 
I want you to become an apprentice of the life of Jesus, his way, the life that Jesus offers. And that, that's why you're gonna hear a steady diet of these three words, these three phrases. Be with Jesus every day. Be with Jesus every day. Become like Jesus. Become like him in the way you treat people. And then do what Jesus did. Do you have that on a screen, Alejandro? No? Yes? Sorry. Okay. I thought, I thought you had it there. Be with Jesus. Say it with me. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. I want you to close your eyes and I want to pray over you. Thanks for staying a few minutes later on this Vision Sunday. I just want to pray for all of us who are having to make decisions across the room. Maybe you've never heard anybody talk about Jesus this way. I, I'm sorry, first of all. <laughs> it might be shocking to you. But Jesus was really pointed in his language. He was really loving in his way. And he called people to join him in a way that was undeniable. And when they did, they found something that was beyond what they could have known. And so all over this room, I want you to decide to go with Jesus. He's calling you. He's calling you. He's asking you to come with him where he's headed. He's asking you to walk right beside him, to join his group of people. Yeah, he knows you're probably all messed up and you don't really know how to be holy. That's okay. Because Jesus will actually make you holy. He'll do the work in your life if you'll just surrender everything to him, if you'll give him everything. And whether you've called yourself a Christian for a long time or not, or you're just, in, just now investigating who Jesus is, I want us to pray this prayer together. Let's pray a prayer of repentance and let's pray a prayer of commitment and surrender all together, all across this room. Father, we just come to you. And we bend our knees. We repent of making church about us. We repent of making our spiritual lives just revolve around what we can get. We ask you to forgive us for adopting the world's idols. Forgive us for being driven by something other than your calling or your vision for our lives. Lord, we ask you to show us who you really are. We wanna answer the question well. Who do we say? They that you are, we wanna say you're the Messiah. We wanna say that you're the son of the living God. You're the savior of the world. You're the deliverer and the healer and we need everything you've got. And so Lord, we come to you today on this Sunday and we choose you above all else. We choose you above everything else and we choose to surrender ourselves in a new way moving forward. Whatever your voice says, that's what we wanna do. Whatever you call us into, we'll go gladly. We won't resist. <laughs> we may find it difficult along the way, but we know you're right there willing to forgive and to heal. And so help us to follow you with abandon. 
Help us to follow you with no other baggage to relinquish control of our lives and to give you charge of who we are. We love you. We thank you for this. We thank you for what you're going to do in us as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.